I want to give you an update. Um, we will, in the next few months, Lord willing, have a video available. But I uh, just wanted to give you an update of where we're at. <clears throat> um, what we've done over the last few years, obviously, we moved up to Canada June 2nd, 2016. We've acquired our permanent residency March as of this year. Uh, the first year, we just worked with Pemina Valley Baptist Church. And we just worked with the church and just learned uh, what it's like to live in Manitoba. Uh, things are different from southern Manitoba to northern Manitoba. In June of 2017, we moved up to northern Manitoba, up to Thompson, and uh, it's a very transient town. We have people come and people go, and you're sort of like, oh yeah, they're going to be great, and then they leave. You know, you're like, oh, you know, my wife led a lady of the Lord, and she left, and uh, other people that have come and gone. Thompson's a very transient town. Just to give you a little bit of statistics uh, before I talk about some of the ministry, uh, it's uh, about 13,000, 14,000 people. Uh, it has 38 RCMP officers. And they are full-on busy. It accounts for about 30% of the city's taxes per a counselor's uh, discussion. Uh, the liquor store in town is the highest-grossing liquor store in the entire province, if not one of the top in the nation. We have three cannabis stores uh, for 14,000 people and another one coming. Um, the town services 55,000 people, including those in the local area. It's a hub community, so a lot of people from outlying reserves come in. Uh, the First Nations communities that are there... Uh, do not differentiate culture with their pagan faith. Uh, they're actually putting a lot into the elementary school to indoctrinate them in the spiritism. When you drive up, there's a point when we're driving north, you can just feel the spiritual opposition. I mean, it is real. You can feel it. And as soon as you leave that area, it's just like, whew. And uh, so ever so often, we'll head down south just to get a, a brief respite. But uh, it's a faith that encompasses powwows, sweat lodges, smudging ceremonies, smoking the peace pipe, or even marriage ceremonies calling up their ancient ancestors. Uh, the ancient ways, if you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, it speaks against this very thing. Uh, we have, what we have done is really to engage in the marketplace. Uh, we partook in the Winter Festival and Manitoba Winter Games. We've gone to Chamber of Commerce meetings, which that ended up leading to a weekly radio broadcast every Sunday at 2.30 on the secular rock music station, we have a gospel uh, show. And so every Sunday, the gospel goes out. And we haven't seen a lot of fruit from it yet, but I've had several people that I've talked to around the community, oh, you're that person on the radio. So uh, there are people are noticing it and listening uh, through that. Um, we've also had the city hall meetings. I go there and uh, been able to engage with the city councilors, the mayor. And, uh, and then this last summer, we had a tent meeting. And God's, we saw the mayor, a city councilor, we saw... Uh, provincial MLA uh, secretary come. We saw uh, the music stations, the radio station's owner's wife come, and uh, she heard the gospel. And so just as God has enabled us to really reach into our community, uh, the philosophy behind it is, um, you know, in the Tower of Babel, <clears throat> uh, they, they all wanted to build one community together. And so we've engaged in that community, and then that allows us, as we begin, 14,000 people is a rather small community. Uh, word spreads pretty quickly there. And uh, so anyways, God's uh, just opened up and been able to open doors and uh, some amazing things. We've been able, we just started a recovery program and God's allowed us to get into the RCMP. We've got into the Mental Health Association. We've got into several hotels, Canadian Tire. Uh, we've even got into another place called MAPS. Men are part of the solution. You may have seen it on my, my prayer letters I send out every month uh, with respect to uh, this therapist said, you're the first pastor I've spoken to in 17 years and being here in town. And she also told me, she said, the spiritual piece is what's missing to get full recovery. And we know that, that's Jesus Christ. 
And uh, so anyways, God has just opened up some amazing doors. The hospital, we got into the psych ward, and I had a guy call me yesterday inquiring about the program. Now, we haven't had it. We've only been going about six weeks, and so it hasn't been uh, a lot going on. Uh, I just want to give you a couple stories of what God has done. We've done a lot of outreach, and if you read my prayer letters, you would have seen just continually, Lord, open doors, open doors. And that's my continual prayer. God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need your wisdom. This is your church. I don't want to mess it up. And uh, so that's my continual prayer. God, I, I just want to do what you want. It's your church. You're going to build it the way you want to, and I just want to be on board with that. And uh, several things, when you were talking about demons, um, I've encountered that. And we did a hospital chapel service. We do it most every week, and uh, there's some dynamics that have changed, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. But nevertheless, uh, we were doing a chapel service, and we were going around the room asking for prayer requests. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this man says, freedom. That's all he says. And later on, my wife and I were like, was that guy demon-possessed? Well, this guy, I give him my card. I give most of the, everyone that comes to this, I give him my, my business card so they can call me, and it has a church address and then the gospel. And uh, so anyways, this gentleman calls me. He said, hey, can you come and teach me the palms? Well, the Psalms. And uh, so I spend several times going back to speak to this gentleman. And at one of the times, I go to his room. And the nurses told me to go to his room because they didn't want me out in the public area because I'd done a Bible study before out in the psych ward in the common area. And, and that, I think, agitated several folks. And so they sent me to the room with this fellow because he called me. So I went there, and here I am giving his gospel to this man. His eyes roll back in his head, and he begins to put his hands over his ears. I plead the blood of Christ. He puts his hands down, comes back to composure, and after some time later, just giving him the gospel, he, get, he kneels down and accepts Christ. And that was in one of my prayer letters. Now, I didn't talk about the eyes rolling in the head and other stuff, but it was real, the demonic um, oppression. Another gentleman got down on his knees and just began to weep and, and cry out to God for confession of sin. I mean, he was in deep bondage, deep, deep bondage. And man, when he confessed Christ, he got up with a smile and a countenance and a light that went on in his spirit. You... <laughs> Man, you can't change that. I mean, he had a smile from ear to ear. Two weeks ago, we had our first convert after a Sunday night, after a normal church service. We've had others that have gotten saved, but uh, the two other men that I spoke about went back to their communities, and all they've got is an Anglican church or a Catholic church. The one gentleman, <laughs> the first one rolling his eyes and demonic possessed man, he said, I need to get baptized now. Well, he's going to go back to a place all they've got is a Catholic church. There's nothing for him. And uh, it breaks my heart. Anyways, two weeks ago, we had a young teenager, uh, gentleman, uh, get saved from the close nearby Nelson House Reservation. His mom called me. I, I talked with her, and she said, I just want to thank you so much for what you did for my son. And man, the boy had a light go on. It was amazing. And his mom's, she was talking about all her financial woes, and I told her, I said, if, if I could pay for your gas to come into town, would you be willing to? It's an hour drive. She said, yeah. I said, okay. She comes into town. Uh, she gets saved. One of the gentlemen that led her son to the Lord, he Spent three hours with her and led her to the Lord. She'd been docking with the JWs, but she was hungry for truth, under great oppression. And I've been told that in, he said, you probably won't believe it, but when I walk home from times, there's things out in those woods. They're monsters. He said, you probably think I'm crazy, uh, but there's demons out there walking around these reservations because they've opened themselves up to demonic oppression. I'm telling you, it is real. And you feel it. Like you were just talking. I said, wow. You gave me a nice intro there, Pastor, so I appreciate that, but... Uh, anyways, it's just, would you pray for us? Um, my heart is to see people saved, to reach further into the community. Uh, they're trying, they're throwing millions of dollars and nothing's happening. And um, so our goal is eventually to use this uh, recovery program Friday nights, continue to get out there and reaching people in the community and talking with people and 
uh, right now we've had a, a good rapport with those in the community, and God just opened some amazing doors. And our heart is that God would just allow it to grow. And then I really want to see a church started in the Nelson House Reservation. They are very, very heavy into spiritism. I mean, even in Thompson. But uh, those are some of the things that we deal with and uh, very heavy spiritual opposition, praying and fasting and asking God for help. And uh, so if you think about it, just do remember to pray for us uh, that God would continue the work there. Our hearts uh, just see people come to know Christ. There is nothing like it. When you see someone get freed and that light goes on in their soul, you just want to jump up for joy. There is nothing greater. And so this evening, I want to talk about the gentle servant. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you turn with your Bibles there this evening, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. If you have questions, feel free to ask us. I just wanted to give you a couple stories that you wouldn't necessarily see in our prayer letters because people might think I'm crazy or I'm, I'm making things up. But it is real. I tell you, it is real. And uh, my wife and others have attested to this, the spiritual opposition that is there. Satan wants to bind people and snare them. And uh, what he does here, outside of those areas where you have a lot of spiritism, what he does here is a different spirit. It's the spirit of materialism and get people enamored and, and all of the lust of the flesh. And, and there's different things that he deals with. But nevertheless, Satan gets us off track and however he can get us entangled. And here in this evening, in our pursuit and desire as Christians to go forth and to help people, we are going to encounter those who are going to uh, maybe be resistant. You're going to encounter people that uh, may have some views that are rather uh, odd. You're going to have some people whose views that may uh, cause some frustration, consternation, uh, irritation. But I understand this evening that we as a Christian ought not to be combative. We ought to, not, we ought to be that gentle servant. And I want to look at that. Would you follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26? <clears throat> and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto some men, no, all men. Apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Notice me what happens here. Who are taken captive by him at his will. You see, our first thing, now Paul is talking to Timothy about being a servant of the Lord, but all of us are to be servants of the Lord. All of us are to be fully yielded to God. We are to be saying, God, it's not my life, it's your life. And so sometimes people may feel, well, I'm a servant of the Lord, but I feel it's my calling to be a warrior for the Lord, crusading truth, to all who need to hear, but you're on your hobby horse or on your soapbox with one particular issue, and there's nothing else that matters but that soapbox. I'm telling you, people need to know Christ. They need to see that there's a gentle servant there. And this evil, wicked, and sometimes arrogant thinking, when, when divorced from the truth of God, the aim is about me, not God. But our goal as Christians is reconciliation, that people would come back to a right relationship with God. They need to see what a Christian is really like. And there are people who do have doctrinal error, but we must first consider their spiritual maturity. There are people that will tell you that, you know, I had one gentleman, I'm just going to give you a short story here. I began to disciple him. And he said, Jesus isn't God. And uh, or he said, someone told me that. And I took him to the Bible and he said, oh, wow, he is. You know, and I discipled him and he began to serve the Lord and was faithful. And I mean, he got on fire. But if I would have just said, oh, you heretic. No, you just got to gently nudge. You got to figure out where they're at spiritually. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, 
Ye which are, notice with me what it says, spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. That's humility. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted over on your wall, you have the Holland family. Beth Holland's father, Pat Zandy, was the best man in my wedding. I had some air when I was first in the military, and he came along in his way, which was annoying, but he came along in his way to gently nudge me and care for me to get me to where I am today. You see, and I got an illustration here from uh, Paul Kingsbury's book, Radical Restoration. This book did a tremendous change in my heart and my thinking in ministry. Here's what he writes. He says, how do we view those in need of restoration? Do we see them as an annoyance that is going to require a great investment of time and energy? Or do we see them as an opportunity to build the church and the work of God? The answer to these questions determines whether we are going to be willing to do the work of restoration. You see, Christian, I've got to say, you know what? (laughs) They have some rough edges. They are maybe a little odd. They're a little bit different than I am. But they need to be restored to Christ. And in spiritual maturity, I ought to say, what can they be, not what are they now? And we must tread lightly upon uh, the truth. You know, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3, verse 2, I have fed you with milk. And he's understanding. You've got to f- consider where the person's at. And there were some things as I was earlier on, uh, as I was up in Thompson, I was teaching some things. And I realized I was over the head of the people where they're at spiritually. And I had to cut it back. I was like, oh, why did I not see that at first? And I had to scale it back because I was ahead of them. I wasn't where they were at, and God, I made some mistakes. The pastor was talking about making lots of mistakes. Well, I made some mistakes at first. And uh, understanding the impact of our words in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. and They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time. But my admonition is let us look through the lens of restoration and potential for Christ rather than doctrinal haughtiness. May we go to the Lord and ask for his blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for gentle servants that have come along and helped me to be where I'm at today. Lord, that is really the the effect of uh, doing evangelism, being gentle and getting people to the Savior. And Father, I pray this evening that in our hearts and our minds, that God, we would be that very thing. Lord Jesus, I need your help. And Lord, I submit this time into your hands. I love you. God, it is a privilege to serve you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As we look here at some truths here, it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. This is one of the things that we like to do. We like to say, well, I'm a, I'm a warrior for Christ. And that is excellent. I'm glad that you have doctrinal soundness. But sometimes there is doctrine that can hurt people uh, because they're not ready for it. And we have to have the spiritual discernment. Am I saying, I'm not saying compromise any bit. Please don't get me wrong. There is absolutely no room for compromise. But sometimes there are some people that you can give them just a little bit. Milk. They aren't ready for the meat yet. In Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, when talking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. And Christ, the servant of Jehovah, here is in his meekness as he comes, and his aim was to speak the word of God. And that's what we have, the word of God. But how we deliver that message, it matters, and it matters a lot. And Jesus Christ, his very character was that, the embodiment of gentleness. You see, granted, he was bold against those who were the, you know, the spiritual abuse of the Pharisees. But yet in the same time, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, as the Apostle Paul speaks, 
It says, now I, Paul, now I, Paul, myself beseech you, notice with me, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold towards you. He, he says, by meekness and gentleness of Christ. Jesus Christ was gentle. And he would have his disciples. Now he'd say, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, there were times where he would cut to the quick. And, but he knew that he had the heart of Peter. And the same man uh, over there, Beth Holland's dad, Pat Zandy, there were times he was very gentle with me. And other times he would cut quick to me. And man, it would burn me. But there was that gentleness at other times. I knew he cared for me. I knew he had my best interests at stake. And our exhortation here is must not strive. We do not dehumanize those who may be in disagreement with us, even if they wage a war against us. We do not make them a second-class citizen. Their evil, as it talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, should not be returned with evil, but rather with good. You think about Revel uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Christianity is not a retaliatory faith. It seeks for fights against doctrinal renegades. It is not retaliatory. Meaning you're not to retaliate. You're not, when someone does you bad, you are not to say, well, how can I get even? In Romans 12, 20, therefore if thine enemy hunger, it says, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Uh, just so recently, I was talking with a, a person and they began to use race against me. And they would say, you know, Jesus, I've had someone say, Jesus was a white man, and he was a white man religion and all this other stuff. I said, first of all, Jesus wasn't a white man. It doesn't matter who you are. He's the creator God, and we're all the same. We all bleed red, and so we're all equal. But nevertheless, irrespective of that, how do I deal? You know, I could get angry and get mad and begin to talk about things. No. My goal is not to uh, defend a particular uh, <laughs> culture or whatever. My goal is to defend the almighty God. And my goal is to get them to God so that their thinking can be corrected. If you look with me, turn with me your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> look at uh, chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. This is a part of a nine-part or ten-part series I taught about really having compassion on others. Missions, you've got to understand, when you're doing missions or evangelism, you're going to have people that are different. Different views, different ideas, different ideologies, different philosophies. And if I approach them with the mindset that I am better than them, I will not reach them. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. How? Not by me, not by you by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, means to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The problem of many Christians today is we feel that we have rights, and we dare not have these rights infringed on. How dare they speak to me in such a fashion? Don't they know who I am? And with such an incident, we are bound to defend our honor. But this attitude is not indicative of a true servant of God. As a servant, we have no rights. And our attitude is, the attitude of David was, my times are in thy hand, Psalm 31, 15. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies 
and from them that persecute me. Again, Isaiah 41.11, God will defend and judge our adversaries for us. Isaiah 41.11, Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. I have to understand, I defend my rights, but if I die in defending my rights, I go to heaven as a Christian. They die defending their rights, and if they're not a Christian, they go to hell. I want to ask you something. Sometimes we can get in a fight about politics and other things. I just told someone today, I said, there's a lot of times in, in church and around town, there's politics that are discussed. Do I agree with them? Wholeheartedly, no. But my politics and my views on politics ought not to be a stumbling block to send someone to hell. Just because they said, you believe this, well, I don't like you. And then I have no, um, they've closed the door. I can't talk to them because I am in opposition to their political view. And it, it closes doors. We've got to be careful, that gentle servant, understanding what is important on an eternal scheme and what is important on a temporal scheme or a, an immediate scene. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14, let me turn with me here, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The heart of God. Now look with me in verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. <coughs> verse 14. Do all things without, what does it say? Murmurings and disputings. Why? Verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. Where? in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, a perverse nation, excuse me, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. My rights, no, not here. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. This, my friend, when you get to take someone through the gospel and they get saved and the light goes on, this book right here, the truth in God's word, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, that I haven't run according to my will, my ways. Neither labored in vain, meaning emptiness. I don't want to labor in emptiness. I don't want to labor for myself because it's not about me. I'm not building a kingdom. I'm not building a church for me. It's God's church, and God builds it God's way. And I got to get on board with that train. I'm just his servant. That's all I am. That blameless is without guilt and harmless. 2 Timothy 2.14, it talks about uh, these things. Put them in remembrance as Paul is talking to Timothy, charging them before the Lord that they strive, not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Strive to argue, to quarrel. As a, uh, one of the lexicons mentions, and to contend about words, to contextually wrangle about empty and trifling things. God didn't really say this, or you know, and you're thinking, talking about things, and, and you're now. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying change doctrine, please. I'm very steadfast on the Word of God, but I'm telling you, sometimes we strive about things that will not help someone to be reconciled to God. They're not going to help them to be restored. The stumbling block with I had a gentleman in my church, and he said, "Pastor, I disagree with you," and he was from, coming from a Catholic background. And I would very gently talk with him, and I'd say, here's what the Bible said. Here's what the Bible said. It doesn't matter what I say. Uh, the young, a couple weeks ago, the young man, he asked me, he said, do you think I should get, um, he said, I'm thinking about getting my spirit name. And uh, he was a young uh, native uh, young man, 
And uh, he said, do you think I should get my uh, spirit name? And I'll go to the medicine man and, or medicine woman. I can't remember what he said. And get my spirit name. I said, well, okay. I said, here's a couple principles from scripture. Because I don't want my, uh, me telling him what to do. Because it's not about my faith or his faith. It's about what the word of God says. And I took him to second, uh, 1 John chapter 4 about trying the spirits. And then as I began to think upon it, and I was studying for my next Sunday's sermon, uh, God gave me as uh, Jesus, uh, when he saw Simon, uh, he changed his name to Cephas or Peter. And he gave him a name because he saw what he would be. You go back to Daniel with the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That was their Hebrew names. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names. I, I said, he, well, he changed their names to pagan names. Why? Because it shows a subservience. It shows a, a, a dominion. <laughs> you know, you're, you're underneath. I said, to whom you give your name to shows a subservience or a dominance over. I, I wouldn't want any dominance, but under Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he got that truth, he was blown away. His name is Luke. The name's shining in a very dark place. I said, that's a beautiful name. He took that truth, and I don't know what he'll do with it, but I said, I don't want me telling you what to do. I, I, it is wrong, because the Bible says so. But I want to show you why the Bible says it's wrong. Principle why it's wrong. Because it's not my words, it's his words. God's words. And I don't want to strive and fight. I don't want it to be, you know, sometimes people say, well, it's this race and this race and, you know, one race against another. Because it doesn't matter our color of our skin. It matters what God says. He's the one that created all of us. He's the one that gave us the rule book. He's the one that gave us the love letter. And the condition of our temperament in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 Flee also useful lust, but follow, it's a command, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender stripes. Avoid, stay away from these things, stripes, combat. And then you come back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, and talking about instructing them, instructing those that oppose themselves. That means to... <laughs> One lexicon mentioned to assist in the development of a person's ability to make appropriate choices. It's a word uh, used uh, for to bring up a child, to guide him towards maturity, instruct, to train. You're instructing someone. Not that I'm better. It's just they're at a different spiritual level. We're not talking down. We're not condescending. It's just instructing. Here's what the Bible says. The young man, as I was talking about getting his spirit name, I just, I just said, here's what the Bible, God gave me some, uh, some uh, phrases, and I looked, I was like, I can't quite remember the reference. So I looked it up, and, and God gave me the reference, and got the references. But I showed him from the Bible, here's clearly what God says. And I'm going to let the Spirit of God work in your heart to make the right decision. Because if I do it, it's not going to last. But if the Spirit of God tells you it's wrong, it's going to last. And I am where I am today because the Spirit of God told me some things of where I'm at. <laughs> where I'm at, where I stand with respect to the King James. The Spirit of God. No man could teach me. I wasn't willing to listen, but God showed it to me. And now no one can change my heart and mind on it. That's where I'm at. And they may oppose you. As it talks about in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Someone that's against you. you know, Peter, the Apostle Paul would withstand Peter. Peter, you're, you're siding with those Jewish people who want to add works to the law, add works to salvation. What does our tendency do? When someone is against you and you're resolute on a particular issue, do you allow frustration and anger and backbiting against that person? 
You see how we respond to that person in, in meekness, instructing those in meekness. That's my attitude. Because my goal is that they would be restored to Christ. You see, strife, as Proverbs 28, 25 talks about, always comes about because of my pride. And then it also comes about because of my lust. James chapter 4, 1 and 2, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. He's saying, your lust, because I want to be seen as great. Is that not often what happens? I want to be seen as the, you know, the champion of truth, and yet I'm destroying someone else. I'm not worried about their spiritual condition. It can even be a person that, we, you know, eventually, that we want them to grow and to come to maturity in the Lord. I understand there's those who are resistant and rebellious, and, and they're steadfast in doing wrong, and that needs to be dealt with biblically. But at the same time, giving that opportunity to minister and help those. And um, in John chapter 6, the Jews would strive among themselves. They would philosophize and talk about things in vanity or emptiness. John chapter 6, 48 through 52. Hypothetical questions, immature seeking of advantage. Titus chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Satan loves to use these questions to get us diverted from doing what we ought to. You know, people like, they love prophecy. People love prophecy. And they'll spend hours and days talking about prophecy and yet never tell anyone about Jesus Christ, who is part of, who is prophecy. Because you get diverted onto questions. Prophecy is very important. I'm not, I'm just saying we can get into little pockets of things that get us diverted from absolute, what God wants us to do. Knowing God's will for your life, getting restoration, being that gentle servant. In the church at Corinth, there was contention as well as at Crete. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Um, it talks about, Paul talks about contentions among you, as well as in Crete and, and uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 9. One gentleman, uh, Warren Wearsby, mentions, he said, I have learned that professed Christians who like to argue about the Bible are usually covering up some sin in their lives, are very insecure, and are usually unhappy at work or at home. End quotes. And sometimes we insist on our rights. And uh, Exodus chapter 21, would you turn with me there? Exodus 21, 18 and 19. Some may even resort to violence. <laughs> Being uh, where, where I was last working down in the south, down in New Mexico, I've heard of men getting such a debate, uh, fights, they would literally go outside and they would, you know, come to fisticuffs and fight. I'm like, oh, that ought to happen in church. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, And if men strive together, and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. Bringing the other man back to health or restoration. See, sometimes even allowing profanity or vulgar speech to come out of your mouth. And uh, the law would speak against that. Leviticus chapter 24. Defying God-ordained authority in Numbers 26. Dathan and Abiram. As they would go against uh, Moses. 
It talks about this is that Dathan and Byron which were famous in the congregation who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah when they strove against the Lord, Numbers 26, 9. As you think upon these truths, these ideas of the gentle servant, our demeanor, our disposition towards others. You see, we've got to get past the idea that I need to settle a particular thing. Sometimes it may not be the right time. Sometimes that person, you're like, oh, I want them to see it, but they just don't see it. But I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. I can't make them see it. I can't convict their heart. The Spirit of God does that work. It's not me. I deliver the truth. I'm the messenger. But it's God that does the, the, that conviction. And our decree you know, not opposing themselves in meekness. And our, our decree and our, <laughs> what God has given us, our command, is to contend for the truth, not our rights or superiority. You know, in Jude 3, it talks about contending for the faith. But the disposition and the manner with which I do such will determine restoration and reconciliation or the ruin of a person. Think about this. If you think about it in the church, if we deal wrong, incorrectly with a situation, a family or a person may leave. They said, I'm never going back. I don't want any part of that. Now, I understand people, we, we all get sin and bitterness in our lives, and that causes a lot of dis disruption. But I don't want to be that stumbling block to get a person to go out. You say, well, they left. Well, okay. But that person could go out with a family, and that whole family, that generation of the, the father and the children, they leave. And then those children go out to the world because mom and dad got offended at something. Now, I understand offenses come. But our decree is in meekness. It's how I respond in humility. Am I a servant of the Lord and my rights? Or is it His glory? Because God's glory, God's desire, is just as it was back in Genesis chapter 3, He would kill that animal to clothe the skins of Adam and Eve so He could be in a relationship with Adam and Eve. God wants a relationship with every person. It comes through Jesus Christ. We ought not to contend for my rights or my superiority. Now, Jesus did rebuke error, Matthew chapter 23, 23 to 26. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he goes on to say, talking against them. Christ was very clear about religion and about its emphasis on physical works for creating self-perceived righteousness to the exclusion of inner holiness. Christ's rebukes were very straightforward. He dealt specifically with doctrinal error, in addition to a strong denunciation of the religious leader's impact upon their followers, which caused the greatest and sternest scolding. Jesus Christ hated doctrinal error, and he dealt with it. He very clearly said, this is wrong. There were those with whom he would discuss. When he, the Pharisees were coming and attacking him, he just said, you know, thus saith the Lord, and here's what God says. You see, when I get into those disputes and someone's coming against me, I cannot say, well, this is what, what I believe the Bible says. No, this is what the Bible says. This is what, because it's not my words. I can contend all day long. But if I go back and I study God's word and I say, well, here's what God's word says. Well, that's not what it says. Well, okay, thank you so much. <laughs> I'll spend my time elsewhere. I don't want to just spend empty time going there if they're not willing to listen. You can think about things in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The story of talking with Luke about trying the Spirit. 
trying to, whether that spirit confesses Jesus Christ as Lord or not, that he's come in the flesh. See, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 30, it says, Strive not with a man without cause if he have done thee no harm. But it also says, look with me in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, 34, it reads, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words shalt thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. We need to watch our words, idle words, empty words. And then the scripture is very, very clear about our words. There is no occasion to speak evil of another person, to slander, to revile, to profane. In Titus chapter 3, verse 2, Titus 3, 2, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. I don't have a right. I don't have the ability. In my flesh, I want to. Oh, do I want to. I tr- <laughs> and God continually convicts me over and over and over again. You see... If you were to look at Leviticus 19, again, another truth, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, and it goes on to say about those, that kind of idea, loving thy brother as thyself. And here's the key for the Christian. In 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch into prayer. Verse 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitudes of sin. Verse 9, use, what does it say here? Hospitality one to another without grudging. Man, I don't want this person coming over. Man, I don't like that person. Oh, i got to serve them again. <sighs> That ought not to be, Christian. As every man hath received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the, of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Grudging. There's that displeasure. <laughs> Irritation. And Christian, that gentleness, i got to understand where that person is. Assume the person is spiritually, <laughs> uh, there's people, uh, uh, they've been saved for a very long time, and I've thought, oh, they know a lot about God. Don't assume that. You begin to talk about truths little by little. And sometimes they may be off, because you don't know what church they've been to, you don't know where doctrine they've been infiltrated with. And if we come in gentleness and reconciliation, said this is what the Bible says. I don't understand that. 
Would you mind if I show you something else? Here's what the Bible says. Little by little by little. And you can get them to a point of spiritual maturity. And they can be used mightily for God. I'm telling you, we need gentle servants these days. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, as I come to the conclusion, the Apostle Paul would say, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. We are not to, to champion our cause, but strive to preach the gospel. As James talks about the tongue can man, no man tame, this tongue, not grudging, not murmuring. Talks about it going on there in James chapter 3, a, a good conversation, my lifestyle. And if we are truly a willing servant of the Lord, then we are able to help others out. But as long as we insist on our honor, our ways, then the fighting and strife will remain. I have a long story here, but I won't read that for the sake of time this evening. But it was about a man as a, during war, and they lined them all up, and they counted all the tools, and <clears throat> they found that one of the tools was missing. And they were going to go through and kill all the prisoners. And this one man stepped forward. He said, it was me. And they beat him to death. I mean, just bloody pulp beat this guy. He died. They went back to their, they went back to their dorm or wherever they were at the barracks. And sure enough, all the tools were there. That one man says, you know what? It's not my rights. I got a whole row of men and women. Men, they're going to die if I, someone doesn't do something. Christian, I have no rights. There's a whole row of people willing to, they're going to die. But they need a gentle servant. And may you in a like manner relinquish your rights as a Christian to serve other people. When we stop demanding our rights and start doing, as the Bible says, to love our neighbors ourselves, then we have an opportunity to impact others for Christ. Our aim is not my glory, your glory. It's not protecting my name or your name. Our aim is to bring others to Christ. And lift up the name of our Savior. I'm telling you, we need gentle servants this evening. We need gentle servants out in the workplace. We need gentle servants out wherever you're at, in schools and the, the, the public markets. You see, we insist on my rights and your rights. And here, we have all everything we could need. All the food, all the luxuries, all the amenities. How dare they? What if we started being Christian, being that gentle servant? And I'm talking, I, there's a growth in me that I need to continue to pursue. I'm not saying I have it figured out. Just because I'm preaching, it doesn't mean I've got it figured out. I'm still working daily. God's working on my heart. And I hope he's still working on your heart. And so this evening, as, we, as I conclude this, are you willing to be that gentle servant? Is the cause of Christ more worthy than my name, my rights. When Christ matters more, my love for Christ usurps myself. I can do amazing. God will want to use me in a great way, bear fruit, because it is not about me. It's all about our blessed Savior. And when he's exalted, people see the light of Christ, and they say, I want that. I had one gentleman, just a final story, I had a gentleman, he was uh, the radio man that I spoke to, and I would begin to talk to him, and he just says, when I'm around you, he'd always want me to pray with him, he just says, it makes me feel good, 
you know, and just the, the light of Christ, the, the hope and the joy that Christ brings, the peace that God brings. I said, don't you understand where that comes from? I said, it's not me. I said, it comes from Christ. And he made some excuse. But irrespective of that, Christian, the gentle servant. How are you doing in respect to being that very servant on your rights or Christ's rights? Pastor? Pastor?